The most familiar scripture in all the Bible is John 3.16. Do you agree with that? Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus has promised to whosoever will the blessing of salvation. That same God has promised to not withhold any good thing from anyone that loves him. That same God has made it possible for us to be a part through our salvation of seeing the world have an opportunity to hear the gospel, the good news. And by the way, if you're a new believer or you're not a believer and don't know what the word gospel means, it means good news, good news. The gospel is good news. The good news is whosoever will can be saved. The good news is it's everlasting. The good news is it is free. The good news is it will change your life from always living in the nasty now and now and start living every day with Jesus and you will find out that every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. That's good news. That's good news. It costs you nothing. But the sad thing is that God has called out his children to come along beside and be his disciples. As God the Father sent God the Son to this earth to live a life without sin, to be nailed on a cross that he could have called 10,000 angels and would have never had to go to that cross. He could have wiped out the whole Roman army just like that. But he laid down his life and gave his life in order that we could have a gift of salvation through the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. Now, in those years, we have made a lot of changes. I'm talking about the children of God. The first believers and all the disciples were executed. They literally gave their physical life to follow the Lord. Then as you read in the early history of the church, you will see over and over and over and over again the battles that were fought. The agony, the persecutions that came, and all that went with that that we don't have time to deal with in detail but in the midst of all of those past stories there's now a present story and eventually there'll be a future story and it all fits together now we happen to be in between Jesus has died on the cross Jesus has risen from the grave we're in the right now and one day soon, Jesus is going to come again. We're between his first coming and his second coming. And we are given instructions as to how we are to live in that gap. In the center of all of that, the one thing that will come out in a serious Bible study and will be very, very clear that God has chosen people to come out of bondage into freedom, come out of darkness into light, come out of a 
being a taker and becoming a giver. And in all that, it was too much for a lot of people to handle, especially that last one. A lot of people believe it's more blessed to take than it is to give. And they spend their life being takers. The only sad thing about that is they all die miserable. I have been present at the funerals of some of the very wealthiest people of our generation. And there wasn't a handful of people there. It's amazing how we can just cut ourselves off from being effective because we're so selfish, so self-centered, so want to grade ourselves like everybody else or on the curve, so to speak. I was raised in a home of a giving mom and dad. I was first. I was the only child. Spoiled brat. Whole deal. But I was at church every Sunday that I can remember. I can remember the gardenia bushes around First Baptist Church, Pasadena, were few and far between in switches <laughs> because of the godly mothers that were in that church. And I remember going into the church one day, and I was just learning to read. And in the baptistry, which was back here, there was a big banner. And it said, every Baptist, a tither. I looked at that sign, every Baptist, a tither. <laughs> well, I knew I was a Baptist because my dad was a Baptist preacher, and he baptized me. That made me a Baptist. But I couldn't handle that word tither till I got home. I asked my mother. I said, Mom, what is a tither? She said, I have no idea. Ask your daddy when he gets home. <laughs> so when my daddy got home, I asked Dad. I said, Dad, what's a tither? He said, a what? I said, a tither. I said, you got signs all over the church. They're in the men's bathroom, in the hallway. You got a big one over the baptistry. Every Baptist a tither. I'm a Baptist because she baptized me. I want to be a tither. <laughs> and he said, son, that's tither. Oh, well, what does that mean? And a lot of you are looking at me and saying, I have no idea what it means. <laughs> well, what that meant was that 10%, the first 10% of anything God gave me belonged to the Lord. It was a good start. But in about 1975, I was reading the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation, and my theology changed. Because what I learned was that everything I have belongs to God. Not 10% of the gross or the net, which is a big hang-up for a lot of tithers. <laughs> and they feel like they have to go to their accountant to see what they're supposed to give so that they can deduct it off their income tax. Some of you say, I have not that problem. Income tax is not my problem. It's survival that's my problem. But in all of that, God began to speak to me personally, and he began to speak to this church. And in 1975, our church went on a major, major 180-degree change. And our church made a commitment to the Lord that if you'll bless your children... We will never go and borrow a dime from the world again as long as we live. And we have kept that promise. 
Everything that we've ever been able to do at Sagemont has been done with God's money that flowed through God's people to do God's purpose with his wealth, and he owns it all. He is not limited as to what he can give, nor does he have to give to anybody. But he says, here's who I'm going to give my wealth to. I'm going to give it to the people that will use it for my glory and for the good of others. It's called missions. It's called blessings from heaven. It's every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father. But in that reading through the Bible, I came across this verse I'd been there before, I'm sure, I just did not remember it. In 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of a people whose heart is perfect toward him. That scripture said to the people way back in the Old Testament, where God had promised his children, I will never withhold any good thing from you. I will supply your every need. But I've got to find a people whose heart is right. Not who has a lot of skills and a lot of talents and a lot of good looks and a lot of good breaks in life or a lot of luck or whatever you want to call it. But I'm looking for a people that I can trust my wealth to. And when I find that people, I'm going to bless them. I am not going to promise them a dollar for every dime they give me. No, that's not the issue. But I will promise them a blessing. I'd rather have my health than all the money in the world. I've had a lot of relationships in life with my family and my friends and my brother and sister in Christ that are priceless. Absolutely priceless. Because... God will not withhold himself and his love from you or me or anyone else that loves him. The most life-changing event in your life and mine is when we are born again. And old things pass away and all things become new. And with that happening in our life, everything changes priorities stay focused the sabbath day remains the sabbath day and all the things the world throws at us to take our kids away from church on the sabbath to take the adults away from church on the sabbath to get everybody on the sabbath saying well this is my day of rest and the way i can rest is get away from god and get away from from the house of worship and go out and have a good time but that's not true. When we come to worship, I don't know about you, but I think most of us would say this. The highlight of our week is just the few minutes we have together with each other to find out about each other, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, and yes, to help one another, but to love what a wonderful, mighty God we serve and how he wants to bless us. Now, if you don't know this, and this is, this is going to just shake you and say, oh, preacher, you are so brilliant. <laughs> Every single one of us was born stingy. 
Amen? Yes. You say, yeah, I was just thinking about my grandkids. I was just think about my kids. Just think about yourself. You were too. And you know, my name was Jimmy. What you going to give me? And if you don't give me, I'm taking it. And we just come that way. It's just the way it is. That's original sin. But we can break out of that. We can get set free to where we don't live by the value of the dollar or let the stock market drop and ruin our day. God's market doesn't drop. God's not waiting to see what the Dow's going to be when the stock market opens on Monday morning, nor the price of silver, nor the price of oil, nor the price of gold, nor anything else you're looking at with your stockbroker or your business manager or whatever. Listen, God owns it all. He owns it all. First John 4, 7 says, because as he is, so are we in this world. Some things that God gives us is a peace that passes all understanding. A power, all power, is given to him. And he in us becomes the most powerful thing in the universe. The provisions that we need to meet our food, shelter, clothing, it all comes from the Father. The protection, the protection. Did you know that God can build a wall of protection around any one of us? I know politically we're trying to figure out how to make it happen. The best thing to do is get under the mighty hand of God, to put on the whole armor of God. And when you put on the whole armor of God, if your life is taken in a tragic thing, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The only thing a devil can do by taking our life is promote us. And it just worries him to death. Because he wants to destroy our marriages. He wants to destroy our homes. He wants to destroy our nation. He wants to destroy our churches. He wants to bring the missionaries off the mission field. All of that stuff comes into play. But God has a different plan. God wants us to learn what a mighty God that we serve. Think about what God's given us. You can add to this list. I could have stayed at this three days. God's given us, in a physical way, the stars, the moon, the sun, the lakes, the oceans, the hills, the valleys, the birds, the animals, the flowers, the children, our wives, our husbands, our parents, our friends. You could go on and on with that list. You see, God knows it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, and God wants to give and set the pace. And every time, even as I walked in this building this morning and saw that bird that was on this, on this beautiful screen here, I don't know what kind of bird that was. Never saw one like that in my life. But I tell you what, whoever made that bird was something else. Does it ever dawn on you who we're here to worship today? He put the stars in space. Every hair on our head is numbered. Every fingerprint is different. That's our God. And God says, come on with me. Not only am I good, but I'm rich. <laughs> you always say, I wish I would have married into wealth. Some of you thought you did, and you were greatly disappointed. <laughs> you just thought her daddy had money. But God says, look, I got a plan. I will provide your need. My God will supply all of my needs 
according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But Satan comes along. God gives. Satan takes away. Our joy, he takes away our freedom. He takes away our blessings. He takes away our mates. He takes away our children. He takes away our health, our happiness, our security, and yes, even our life. And yet the overwhelming majority, by choice, choose to follow him. Some way, somehow, he has put, Satan has, in the minds of most people, follow me and you'll have a good time. Follow me and I will just take such good care of you. I will just lead you to the most exciting things that your Christian friends aren't going to get to enjoy. They're waiting on marriage. They're staying sober. They're focusing things that are pure and good and godly and honest and of good report. Come with us. Come with us. And if you won't do it, we can get you a couple of drinks and you'll do it. But come on. You want to be cool. And God says, no, you want to be my child. Because everything in this life and the life to come belongs to me. And it's appointed unto man once to die, regardless of which side you're on. We will die. There is a tombstone ready to get a date put on it. And we know that, but we want to kind of blow it away. But have you ever noticed in your life that some of the most gifted, blessed people you know or that you know about them are the most miserable? Why doesn't the news report the misery of the leaders of this country in the entertainment industry? Why doesn't the truth come forward of the finished product of the brewer's art? Of the finished product of those that go after Satan? We're not going to do that because this world right now is dominated by sin and has been from the beginning. 43 years ago, God introduced me to five thoughts. I'm going to give them to you. I think this is my fourth time to do this. These five things have not only changed my life, but of hundreds of people in this auditorium right now that were here years ago. And churches and religious institutions, including Liberty University, Southwestern Seminary, and many others and their leaders, that put us on a whole different train of thinking as to what's wrong. Why is it that we are seen as a bunch of holy beggars when we're children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Where have we missed out? God gave us His only begotten Son. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us our life. He gave us food, jobs, salvation, all of that. And now in 2 Chronicles 16 9, he says, The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of people whose heart is perfect towards him. I want to give you these things in the next about 15 minutes. Number one. God owns all of the wealth in this world and in the world to come.
God owns everything. He is owner. God's word is clear again. All that's in the heavens and all that's in the earth, God says, the God that created it says, it's mine. It is mine. It all belongs to him. Not only in this world, but in the world to come. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Listen to the scripture. This is the scripture I read that changed my way, personal way of thinking and then my life and ultimately the life of this church and others. Number one, God owns all the wealth in this world and in the world to come. That's number one. And listen to the scripture. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 14. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that's in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honors come of you, and you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of you, and of your own have we given you. You see, the first thing God's people did in day one was to be takers and not givers. They began to hoard it up. If you want to take a dollar out of circulation, give it to me. And I'll build my net worth with it. I don't know who it's going to impress, but I'm going to build my net worth so at least... I'll draw my last breath knowing that the hospital bill will be paid. Well, Psalm 24.1 says, are you ready for this one? Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That's Psalm 24.1. What our church learned at that time, what I learned as pastor was that God owns everything We'll cut ourselves off from everything else other than God's provision. And the way that God blesses his church is to bless his people. We are the church. We are his children. We are adopted into the family. We are the ones that he is looking for. And so God owns it all. Number two is, and this is where he differs from most of us, he wants everything he has in circulation. He wants it in circulation. He doesn't want us hoarding it up. He wants us to be givers and not takers. I mean, some of us are so tight and so arrogant, we won't give somebody a spot on the freeway. Really. I mean, people go crazy. They honk their horn, blink their lights and try to run you off the road just because there was about an 80-foot spot between them and the car, and you got in front of them. Ruins their whole day. Absolutely their whole day. Why? Because they are dramatic examples of how a lot of us like to do it, but since we got a honk if you love Jesus on our bumper sticker, we handle it a little better <laughs> than they do. You know what? Did you ever learn a scripture, God is love? Go like this. But he is. 
And you know what? He wants it in circulation. Does God love you? Well, get it in circulation. Oh, no, I'm just enjoying. Oh, I love to sing. Oh, how Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you think that's the end of the song. Or that's the only song ever written on love. Well, I'm glad you know Jesus loves you. Now let somebody else know you love them. And better yet, let them know that the love that you love them with is the love that God gave you. So what you're doing is passing on the love of God. And you say, well, I don't want to run out of it. There's plenty more where that came from. God's got a lot of love to flow in his kids. And those that are the givers of love are the receivers of love. That's the reason they keep on giving. I'm looking at people that I've looked in their eyes and preached them 40 years. They were givers 40 years ago and they're still givers right this moment. Why? You don't ever run out of stuff. If you got it from God, God's got plenty where that came from. Plenty. But again, we're the people. Again, we go back to John 3, 16. Left the whole world, he gave his only begotten son. Listen to Job. Job, if you're a new believer, okay? <laughs> Job 22, 23. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. Every time you bring glory to God with your life, God has an excuse or a reason to bless you. Anytime you lift up Jesus in whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. Why does he want you to do it to his glory? Because he wants to give you more so you can give it to others, you know, to where you can find it. Just get up and just throw it out every way. That everywhere you go, there's plenty of love. You say, well, I just love my family. Wonderful. That's the place to start. Love your mate. Love your children, love your grandchildren, love your friends, love your neighbors, love your kinfolks. Even that sorry uncle that you've got, love him too. And pray that he'll get saved one day. But don't beat him on the head. Let's go to number three. All of the wealth of God is available to his family, to his children. All of it is available. To his. Not, not just what you see that you have but what he has. You see, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The God that owns everything wants to make it available to his children. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, it reminds us of the fact that we've forgotten, a lot of us, whose we are, whose kids we are. We're God's kids, Right? We're adopted into the family of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 28, and it shall come, verses 1 through 10, it'll come to pass if you'll hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe and do all his commandments, which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you if you'll hearken unto the voice of of the Lord your God. And blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your kind, the flocks of your sheep. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before them seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon you in the storehouse and in all that you set your hand unto. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord God gives you. And the Lord shall establish you a holy people unto himself. 
as he has sworn unto you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and shall be afraid of you. Does that sound like the church you know? You know the banks of Houston respect this church? Do you know the politicians in this town do? I had the privilege to dedicate Beltway 8 to do the prayer. I think the judge was Elliot, I believe, at that time. And uh, before he introduced me to lead the prayer, here's what he said. He said, you know, when we politicians are, are running for office, we visit all the big churches in town. He said, that's just kind of the way it goes, you know, to kind of get those votes. And he said, I visited Dr. Morgan's church down here, down the freeway, Sagemont. I went there, and he said, you know, I stayed awake the whole time I was there. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, but you know what? You know why I was staying awake? He said, I knew they were going to pass the plate. And so when they passed the plate, I was going to be ready because the eyes of the voters might be watching. And he said, you know what? They didn't pass the plate. You should have seen those politicians. And then he said, oh, and all that money they owe in Beltway 8, and they don't owe anybody any money. Now, preacher, you pray. Man, I was ready. I wanted to preach. <laughs> but now we've been able to build a cross on that freeway where a million people a week get to see it. Paid for by God in heaven that blessed his children and said, put it out there and let people see how much I love them. And this is our best weekend to show it off. People see the cross. Will Freeman Tomlin be preaching next uh, Sunday morning? Uh, about 6.30, the cross service, and then we'll make our way over to the open tomb because the Jesus that died on that cross rose from the grave, just like he said. See, God keeps his word, folks. The same God that said, if I die, I'm going to rise again, says, if you'll become a giver, I'll bless you. If you'll be faithful to handle what's mine, I will give you a lot of joy. And the greatest joy you ever get in your life is giving to bring glory to God and meet the needs of other people. Number four, the way to have is to give. Doesn't go with the world, does it? Galatians 3.29 says, if you be Christ, then you're of Abraham's seed. Are you ready? And you're an heir according to the promise. That was told to the people that you are in a holy heritage. You are heirs of the wealth and love of God. Who do you think built heaven? God did, right? Is that where you're going? I hope so. If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you are. You're going to heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And people say, oh, I can't believe literally that streets of gold, walls of jasper, and gates of pearl. I don't think there's that much money in where God's got plenty. If it's not literally what you think all that is, it'll be better than that because God owns it all. Number four is where most will fall out of the equation, and I'll be through here in just a few moments. The way to have is to give. Yes, no, 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 preacher. No, the way to have is to invest. Mm-hmm. I just need to get a bunch of papers to put in my 
box at the post office. That way I feel real good. I got a box of papers. And then you have to watch the news every morning. Do you know God hadn't lost anything? God saves. There's not one person ever came to Jesus by the blood that lost their salvation. No. No, no, no. But one day, we're leaving here and going to be with him. Are you ready? Great scripture. Now we're over in the New Testament. I'm about to finish my Bible reading out here publicly. Are you ready? Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall the Lord give unto your bosom. For with the same measure you meet with all, it'll be measured to you again. Are you ready, Baptists? You want a 10%? For those that aren't Baptists, 5%. Why, settle for three. God says, you want it all? Uh, uh, I don't know what I'd do with it. How many zeros would that be? I'm not sure that my bank can handle that big a deposit. Do you want it all? You can have it all if you'll do with it what I want. And he's talking to his family. He's saying, family, I want to pour my wealth on you and let you not bless yourself but be a blessing to others. The Bible says the way to have is to give. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by in store as God has prospered him. Listen, you can't give what you don't have. But that's not the problem. Your problem is you can't give after you paid all your bills, buying stuff that you didn't need to buy. You know, we use that to buy what we don't need to keep up with people we don't like. And then they refinance when you catch them. And that puts you back in the same spot again. But whenever you get to that point where you say, you know what, Lord, while I'm alive, I want to give. When I'm gone, I want to give. But my gift is to you. It's not to the need. God will meet the needs through a church that is following the Holy Spirit. We have a wonderful finance team at our church. They are sticklers about every dime this church spends through prayer and listening and your input. All of it goes to make a team, a family. You know, we sing that song, I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. And what we do, we all do. But all of us, every single one of us, I was also informed by our administrator that more than 50% of the members of this church which is known as the most giving church that I know of anywhere, do not give one ten cents a year to the ministry of this church and its mission. That's the problem. Imagine what we could do to get missionaries back out there that we've had to call home. I didn't think I'd live long enough, but I have. We're now calling our missionaries back of what we call our Southern Baptist Convention through our cooperative program that supports the biggest mission force on the planet a few years ago. But now, because we have come to the point that we're so worldly and so caught up that we'll pay thousands of dollars to see a football game you can see for free and not give God one dime. 
all that church wants is my money. That's hogwash. That's foolish. That's crazy. That's devil talk. What this church wants to do, and any godly church, wants to get the gospel out. So when the trumpet blows, every person has seen it. It's our way. It's a way. But you have a part in that if you give. But if you don't, you don't have a part. I got to give you one more point. We're not to give from our apparent resources. We're to give from God's actual resources. And God owns everything. Revelation giving is not the same as reason giving. I think I could do what I'm doing now and still give a little bit. I'll go back and put the math to it. God says, no, go back and put your knees on the ground and pray. Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? I don't know what we'd pay for our health if we could buy it. But I know this. You can't outgive God. God owns it all. Don't give out of your parent resources. Give out of God's actual resources. Are ready for the scripture? Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. Then Peter began to say unto them, Lo, we've left all to follow you. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, there is no man that's left houses, brethren, sisters, their father, their mother, their wife, their children, or their lands for my sake and the gospel's sake, but he shall receive a hundredfold in this time houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, life everlasting. He says, you're not going to outgive me, my, my dear child. I will show you. I own it all. And all you have is what I give you. And if I have to straighten you up by cutting your allowance back just a little bit, I will just humble yourself and let you know that the gift you're given came from me. And all you did was just pass it on. Just pass it on. So the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole world to show himself strong on behalf of a people whose heart's perfect towards him. My closing scripture is my dad's favorite scripture. It's really a grant. I look at it, everything that he ever wrote in any Bible he had, he always put this, or ever signed his name on your Bible, he put Philippians 4:19. And here it is. But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's the source, not your job, not your stockbroker. He's the source. He's the giver. He's the provider. He's the one. And whenever he finds somebody, whether it's a little child or a hundred-year-old person, he will bless you according to your faith. Not give to get unless you're given to get so you can give more. And God says, follow me. There's never been a time in history when God needs his children more to step up than right now. This is our day. This is our moment.